One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast? It is. This is, this is a thing now. Is this going to be a thing? Yeah, this is the intro. Okay. This has always been the intro. <laughs> uh, it is Monday the Fine. 19th of November. Uh, I am your temporary host, Jack Pitbrook, and I am joined today by Luke Brown. Hello. And birthday boy, Jonathan Liu. Happy birthday, Jonathan. Thank you. Uh, is it cool for us to like celebrate your birthday on the podcast? Um, no, it, it's fine. I, I, I don't mind. It's just I mean, it's uh, out now. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it feels like a pretty low key birthday. I mean, I'm 33 today, and uh, I, I guess if people are people are wondering, people who are younger than 33 are wondering what sort of age you stop caring about birthdays. I think 33 is probably the the magic number. <laughs> Did you care for like 31 and 32? Yeah, they, they were quite you know, but obviously there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a, a down turn with each one and i'd say probably the most low-key birthday so far since two (laughs) yeah well we we had i'm gonna let the listeners into our our world here had fun in the pub on friday didn't we for your birthday yeah yeah we we recommend the black prince in oval uh black prince in yeah black prince in kennington very nice uh time had by all slightly different um groups of friends all meeting each other for the first time so that was quite um always nice when that happens Excellent. Well, I hope you felt celebrated. Uh, but the, the the really big story this weekend, of course, was the Nations League. Mm. Uh, it was probably the best game. It's one of the best games that I've been to for a long time in England. Like, and one of the best Wembley occasions ever. Um, this is England against Croatia. Yeah. Sorry. So for for listeners who who don't know, England beat Croatia two one yesterday in the Nations League to win. League A Group 4 and in doing so book their place at the Nations League semi-finals and final in uh, Porto next June um, which is a really big achievement because England were in a group that Gareth Southgate has described as the hardest group of the four which I think is probably right no not really really which group is harder France Holland and Germany I think that mm-hmm. might be true on paper but in in hindsight it doesn't look like the, the hardest group but at the at the outset when they make the draw France, Holland, Germany, that's the hardest group. Yeah. Um, Sorry to be churlish. <laughs> uh, Luke, you were there at, with, at the game. What did you think about it? I thought it was, it was a great game. I was trying to work out before the game, but I think it was probably, what, the biggest, you know, England game at Wembley since the Wallywood Brolly Croatia game, probably. Like, it felt like that, that it, you know, it was the, the highest biggest football game, certainly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, the, the, the 2013 Rugby League World Cup semi-final against New Zealand. Uh, which, how, how we tell us that? about that. Well, it was um, the biggest. I would say yesterday's game. Not I was watching it from the pub. Not not there, but certainly from the the patriotic fervor in the pub. <laughs> uh, the the most partisan uh, atmosphere for a sporting event at Wembley since probably that 2013 World Cup semi-final against New Zealand, which England were winning by, I think, four points with about 15 seconds left and then conceded a last minute try. Kevin Sinfield just bursts off his line to, to try and make a tackle, doesn't make the tackle. They go over, uh, somebody converts from the, the touchline and, and that's the, that's the end of, of the rugby league dream for England. Amazing. It's funny, isn't it? Like most England football games at Wembley, 
over the last what 12 years yeah. um, have generally fallen into two categories one is like the unconvincing one nil qualifying win over Slovenia <laughs> and the other is the the kind of actually quite tepid nil nil friendly draw with Brazil or Germany yeah. uh, in which everybody kind of reads a little bit too much into just how impressed were you by Ruben Loftus-Cheek or whoever just because there's so actually very very little happens on the pitch and it's so rare to have an England competitive competitive game against a good team. Like the whole structure of the qualifying processes means that you don't get competitive games against a good team. Yeah, who I mean, who is the last good team that England have played in qualifying? They've got fairly fairly easy groups the last two or three times. I was thinking the last. So I was going through this earlier. The last time that England had anything that was kind of comparative to last night was in October 2013 when they beat Poland 2-0 at Wembley. Mm. Again, they had to win to qualify for the 2014 World Cup after a few draws earlier. And Rooney and Gerrard scored. And I remember that. And it was really good. There were like 20,000 Poland fans at Wembley. So there's a proper atmosphere. Rooney said that was his favourite goal as well, didn't he? I think it was his most kind of important England goal. I've got no recollection of that game (laughs) at all. Uh, But that was, you know, that was five years ago. um, And it wasn't as good as last night because that Poland team, good as they were, not as good as this Croatia team, um, so the, the two other games that stand out are actually the when England hammered Croatia 5-1 in September 2009 on their way to the 2010 World Cup. Mm. But obviously that was Croatia in a bit of a dip. And of course the 3-2, the, the Wally with the Brolly game. McLaren, yeah. yeah. Well, what was so nice about it as well was that you really felt that the Nations League has kind of allowed those um, kind of threads and narratives from the World Cup to actually mature a little bit. And you've kind of, I remember your your piece that you wrote before the game, you've got now this kind of, England Croatia rivalry and it it did feel a little bit like that and it was nice to be able to kind of yeah I mean it's not proper revenge is it but you know it was good to see those two sides in action again and and the problem with qualifying groups is that you often just get these games and even that Poland game obviously it was a huge game but who really remembers it whereas I think this game you know people will remember and it was kind of it it felt like there was more at stake than probably what there actually was yeah I mean I'm not still not a huge fan of three team groups I think Spain have every right to feel slightly hard done by there Uh, why because they finish their games before, it's very easy to envisage a situation where they're all kind of level on points going into the final game, and uh, the the two teams that are playing can do some sort of deal to relegate the third team. Right. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, but you know, it, it has pitted the best against the best, and after was it one point from their first two games? Uh, I don't think anybody really. I, th- I think even Southgate himself was thinking. Okay, well, let's let's get the experience against a couple of good teams and take our education from those two games without necessarily having something to play for. But but it's it's really turned do, out. Do you think spectacular. it would be better to flip it? So you know you've got the four teams in all of the other groups apart from the, like top tier groups. Mm. Do you think it would be better to maybe have four teams in the top groups and then like shave a team off the bottom? Yeah, I mean competitively that that would be better because League D has sixteen teams in four groups of four. But uh, I think part of the, the deal when it when when organising this tournament was that it would only be four games, which would still give the big countries two international days to organise their lucrative friendlies against, I believe, Switzerland and the USA <laughs> yeah, in England's yeah. case. But but generally, generally, uh, the big countries wanted to to keep a couple of friendly dates, so that's that's why three team groups ended up happening. Have you watched many of the other games from the other groups? I saw uh, the I saw Switzerland's exceptional comeback last night. That's bizarre, isn't is it? it? Is it the night before? Or was it last night? No, it was last, last night. night. Yeah. Depends so, when you're listening, I guess. So, but yeah, so basically, f- uh, what Belgium scored two early goals and were going through, and Switzerland needed four to overturn them on head-to-head, and mm. ended up scoring five. 
and beat Belgium 5-2, which is bizarre because it means that Switzerland, who are you know, not a great team, will now be in the Nations are, are League. Are Switzerland final. actually just like quite good? Because they're, they're always at the top of the rankings and then they have a bad, well, you know, a kind of average World Cup and now they're beating Belgium 5-2. No Switzerland team has ever been notable. I think I think that's fair to say. They are, as you say, one for the neutrals. Uh, <laughs> but no, at the, at the World Cup, they they occasionally threatened to look good without ever being good. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, they, they were on, on a collision course with England at, at one point at the World Cup and I think they were the highest ranked team left in in that half of the draw and they still did nothing. Yeah, I also Holland have probably been one of the stories of the uh, of the Nations League apart from England. Um they beat they beat France 2-0 on Friday evening, which I watched most of. And they were quite impressive. Like remember they thumped Germany 3-0 mm-hmm. in the October fixtures. And now uh if they get a point in Germany away in Gelsenkirchen tonight, then Holland will be going through to the final four instead of France. And they're impressive in the sense that they're a team who everybody said was in a massive dip and they had, you know, they don't have the good players they've done before. But since Koeman's come in, he's kind of rebuilt the team. They've obviously put a lot of faith in that guy, uh, Frankie de Jong, who plays at the base of midfield. They've got some of the old guys as well, like uh, Ryan Babel. Memphis Depay is playing very well. Uh, Jorginho Wijnaldum, who obviously we know from Liverpool. Uh, And they kind of took France to pieces. France looked terrible. France looked like the kind of, I guess it's a classic post-World Cup winning dip. Yeah, but mm. they look like they look basically as unambitious as they were at the World Cup, but less exciting. <laughs> it's interesting that the the countries that appear to have made it, if we if we assume Holland make it, uh, Portugal, Switzerland, and England, are all, they're all kind of second tier nations, aren't they? Uh, that so many of the big the, the so called big countries have have really sort of failed to turn up in 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 qualifying. I mean, I remember watching going to watch Holland against England in um, in Amsterdam in. Friendly in about March, oh, April yeah. March, and Holland were terrible, absolutely terrible. England won that game one nil, and the assumption was that it was kind of a, a a default victory against such a poor Holland side, and you know they've they've kind of pulled it out in the last few months. Would you say that generally the teams which have done the best, are the teams which have the most to prove, as in like Spain, as in you know Croatia, they've done their you know they've had their big generational achievement. Mm. France have had their big generation achievement. They're the teams who've kind of taken their foot off the gas a bit, whereas it's been England, Switzerland, Holland, who kind of overachieved because they feel like you know this is this is more of an opportunity to them than it would be to a more established and successful side. Yeah, that, that would I mean that would certainly be the most the more intuitive um, solution that that the explanation that the big countries there's this natural post World Cup dip because the big countries uh, who are generally accustomed to being in a big tournament every two years they they work on these two-year cycles and, and this stage of the cycle is generally when you blood young players you have a, a, a tranche of retirements and, and you know you're trying to build a new team and i think that's kind of what southgate was thinking yeah. uh i mean that that first squad was very experimental yeah it's funny after the um i remember in that first september international break when england lost at home to spain and actually played really poorly and then scraped a 1-0 win against Switzerland and Leicester, where they were also really poor. After that Leicester game, I asked Southgate, like, how how much do you care about the Nations League? Because, of course, England, you know, having lost their first game, were at risk of relegation mm. uh, because the margins are so fine. And his answer was basically, well, I don't care. Like, if we get relegated, whatever. Like, I don't <laughs> care. My mate, he didn't say that, but it was, he said that his main focus was the d- developing the players. Um rather than like 
not coming third in that particular mini group. And let's also not forget England were ten minutes away from coming or twelve minutes away from coming third in the group anyway. So relegation was always a risk. But um kind of because of the amazing win out of nowhere in Spain and then the you know the turnaround yesterday they they've managed to win the group. Spain are a really weird case, aren't they? Like they kind of go against that opinion that kind of the teams with more to prove kind of have done really well because they started off mm-hmm. amazingly beat England they absolutely smash Croatia and then lose two games 3-2 and you'd you'd think with a new manager they'd maybe struggle to begin with and then Luis Enrique yeah. would start sorting out but they've kind of gone gone in reverse a little mm-hmm. bit maybe and the 3-2 against England kind of flattered them yeah they were yeah, very yeah. bad um, I mean Croatia was the, was the big post-World Cup dip mm. that, that, I mean they, they lost 6-0 to, to Spain didn't they but um a lot of the countries that you you would think have a have a point to prove, the likes of Italy, have have done all right, but haven't obviously made it. Yeah, I think um, Portugal. I imagine Portugal would probably be favourites for the whole thing, given that they're hosting it. So their yes. their big result really was the fact that they managed to beat Italy one 0 and then draw with Italy in Italy, mm. uh, which is how they managed to get through. But I'd say after them, England will probably be second favourites. Yeah, for yeah it, well, England have beaten Switzerland recently, haven't they? Beaten Holland recently. Yeah, I mean, it, it might it might go down to uh, which side is freshest. I think the the semi-finals take place three days after the Champions League final. Yeah, three or four days after the Champions League final. And if, for example, Manchester City or Liverpool are in that, then you can imagine the likes of Sterling or, or Alexander Arnold or, or uh, John Stones having pretty tired legs. Yeah, see, like Stone, Stones and Sterling especially. Well, Stones, Sterling and Walker are incredibly important in this England team. Mm. They can probably do without Walker, but they can't do without Stones and Sterling. Yeah, I mean, no, win, win or lose, if they're in if they're, they're in a Champions League final, the, the emotional high of that and, and, and then having to raise yourself again in three days and then again in another seven days for what's possibly a third, fourth place playoff is, um, yeah, that'd be tough. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how, that is receive, how those games are received at home. Like, will they be seen as being like a tournament game? Because I mean, the the feeling yesterday is that it did feel like it did feel like actual competitive football. Like it was, it did mm. feel like a proper atmosphere. If England win the Nations League, are they entitled to have a star above their crest, a second star? Ooh, silver star maybe. Are silver. They, are the are years they, of her over? Are they entitled to have? That's a really good question. Mm. Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> somebody did ask Southgate this on Saturday. They're like, are the years of hurt over? And he just kind of dodged the he dodged the question as <laughs> as the you know it he didn't he didn't quite say that's a frippery that's that's more for the podcast but uh, he might as well have done. <laughs> Would they be entitled to an open top bus parade? I don't. I mean, yeah. Why not? Will Will Croydon Box Park be? Uh, yeah, it will yeah, absolutely be fully Croydon Box Park for I mean, the so. next June. The, 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 the thing is. There, there's a, a clash with the the cricket World Cup, the men's cricket World Cup, which which is also taking place in, uh, well, early June as well as mid June, late June, late May, and some of July. Uh, but you know that's that's going to be. Um, I mean, if if anything, that's what's going to be filling the Croydon box park in June. There's also it's also the um, I checked yesterday, the Nations League finals clash with uh, Primavera in Porto. What a dream! Uh, so, what a dream. Buy, if England fans and indie music fans buy yourselves a ticket for Primavera and then fill your time when England aren't playing, with a trip to go and see some of the music. It's it's terrible scheduling, isn't it? Really, the, the week after the Champions League final. That's I mean that's it's really the only bad time you can do it. But this this June, you've got as well as the Nations League, you've got the African Cup of Nations, which they're moving to the summer, uh, the Copper America, the Gold Cup, the Asian Cup, and 
something else. Whichever. Women's World Cup. Women's World Cup. Yeah. And these are all happening in the month of June. So obviously, there's, there's I think attention is going to be slightly more splintered than mm. than it was last last year. Certainly. Um, how much do you? How much do you think England have improved based on what you saw yesterday from the team that uh, lost the World Cup semi final, or even the team that we had at the start of the year? I think they've improved a lot. I mean, so what? Only five players who started the semi-final started this weekend. And what I thought was so impressive was that, obviously, I think the thing that kind of made the thing that enhanced Southgate's reputation so much after the World Cup was the kind of formulation of the three-four-three or the three-two-two-two. Yeah. And he received so much credit for that. And it did a really good job of kind of disguising England's flaws and enhancing what made them a good team. And then in these last two games, he's just completely discarded that. And it's back to a four-man defence. The, the three-man midfield was quite... It reminded me a bit of Napoli under Sarri last season. You know, you had like Jorginho and Allen and Hamstitch driving forward where Ross Barkley was playing. And that's like a completely new system that's not really Very been... Very vertical midfield. Vertical. Vert- nice vertical line. Really good adjective. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's the, the the most impressive thing for me is is the way they've evolved in four months from the World Cup. They've built maybe at least one, maybe two new systems. They still have the five if they want, and I think that was a system built for maybe coming up against you know your Tunisias and your Panamas. Mm. They still have that, but uh, now they have genuine width going forward, uh, and they've somehow managed to to uncover a. Yeah, decent midfield and I mean I thought Delph was an absolute revelation yes. Delph was so good um, but also they've they've learned to win games in, in totally different ways so the Spain win the win in Spain was a completely different sort of win to the win against Croatia yeah. they, they, they can win on the counter they can win you know pressing on the front foot uh, and you know they you know as we saw during the World Cup they they have that five to five at the back to go to as well. So that they've they've got they're a team with different notes now, which I think is is the most exciting thing about them. Yeah, I think that's really impressive. I think the four three three has been a huge improvement, um, just, be, just in, mainly because it's so important to have Sterling and Rashford on the pitch. Yeah. You see, the problem with the three five two is you can't have Sterling and Rashford and Kane, yeah. uh, and England are so much more dangerous with them. Obviously, it was Sterling and Rashford who were the most important players to the win in Spain, which was really like the most important win of this kind of mini season for England. And even yesterday, even though it didn't work out like this, England could have gone in front in the same way. Like in the first half, not, they got Sterling in behind like two or three times. And with better finishing or with a bit more luck, they would have they could have won the game long before they actually did. Do, do you think that the the 11 that played yesterday, do you feel like that's England's best 11? Or do you think... Because obviously like Henderson kind of dropped out really late, didn't he? And Delph was a bit of an emergency well, solution. This is what I think... This is another thing where I think England have improved a lot is that I think that was... I think that was probably England's best back five and England's definitely England's best front three. But in the midfield, I don't, I don't think we have an obviously best midfield anymore. Mm. Like, the fact is that we finished the game with... Ali and Lingard coming on. Mm. And Ali and Lingard was the starting midfield or the starting attacking two of the midfield from the World Cup. Like yeah. Henderson, Ali and Lingard was the World Cup midfield. None of them started yesterday. And for me, that says a lot about the like the options that we now have. Like, the fact is that what he started yesterday with... Or the indecision. Or the indecision, yeah, depending on how you want to look at it. He started yesterday with Barkley, Winks and Dyer. 
as the mid no, no not sorry Winks didn't play he started with Barkley Delphin Dyer as the midfield three mm. which was quite a big surprise overnight and I think that so like Winks for example who was so good in Seville might have felt kind of frustrated that mm. he he was dropped for this big game but it says a lot of the the midfield options that we had that he was able to bring on Ali and Lingard and didn't even bring on Winks though he could have done if the situation had been better it does worry me a little bit that the original plan seemed to be to start Henderson and Dyer. I can't, I can't really see that working as well against Croatia as, as what kind of Delph offered them, even though it was obviously an outstanding performance by Delph. Eric, Eric Dyer is a, I mean, a complete flimflam of a player. <laughs> what do you mean? I, I don't think he's ever played a forward pass. No, I mean he's obviously quite limited. That's and and the the difference with Delph is that. Who I I questioned that selection in the pub before the to my friends I said I I said to them I, I questioned this selection <laughs> and I, I said I, I question and they say how do you question well I I, said, I don't know I just I just questioned it but uh, he was taking he was taking guys on he was taking on difficult passes that that's that that to me is the big difference between uh, a player like Dyer and a, and a and the way Delph played yesterday is. Anybody can take on the the simple sideways backwards pass yeah. and keep possession. Uh, in order to, I, I don't know what the, there's this. These German guys have this metric, new metric for how effective packing, packing exactly, like getting the ball to a teammate, but and bypassing, you know, uh, opposition players in the and and he he did that. Yeah, I, th- I imagine Delph was also picked in part because of what he does off the ball. Mm-mm. Like he's mm. so. I think England knew they had to be kind of tighter to the Croatian midfield than they were in the semi-final, for example. Uh, and while Winks is a great is great with the ball, there are some question marks about him without the ball. Um, yeah, you you can play Winks and Delph, I don't think in that, yeah, in that sem- with with Ross Barkley kind of yeah, pushing the way I think forward. Barkley is. Uh, I can see why Southgate likes him, but I think Barkley is kind of inconsistent. Like he does some good things, but he also does some bad things. Mm. He's quite indisciplined even now. And you know that's one of the reasons why he's not an automatic starter for Chelsea. And I think that, I mean, going forward, I think, I, th- I think we don't really know what the best balance in the midfield is. But equally, we do have a lot of options, and I'm quite com- confident that whoever plays England will have like a strong midfield to go into those Nations League games with. I really June. like I really like Barkley. I thought he he obviously he got robbed a couple of times in the end. He gave yeah. the ball away a, a little bit needlessly, but he was so energetic in how he he was the player who would join attacks, but then also. Go all the way back to kind of help help break up play. They do need those sort of linking linking players. Because who who's the who who else do England have like that really? I mean, Loftus Cheek does stuff that other people can't do. Like for example, that chip over the top to Kane to set up Mm. England's third goal in Seville. Like he has got that kind of X factor. Mm. And also, you could see yesterday there were lots of times where he was just like trying to get into space to shoot from twenty twenty five yards out. And the one thing we know about Barkley is he actually he's got a fantastic shot on him. Mm. And like, un, you know, if he got a bit more lucky, then we might have scored a goal from distance. Like, many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah. When, when's Oxlade Chamberlain back? Uh, not until the summer, I don't think. It sounds like the chance of him... I'm not been following the story closely, but it sounds like the chances of him of him not pl- of him playing again this season are actually quite low. Because I, I, th- you know, I, I thought around this, you know, this time last year or maybe seven or eight months ago, Southgate was really looking to build that midfield around Oxlade Chamberlain. He was playing amazingly. Yeah, I think he was going to be one of the main. When Southgate thought about that that kind of three man midfield with one holding and two going forward, mm. Oxlade Chamberlain was always in the picture to be one of those two going forward. Yeah, uh, in a way that the. Um, I think it was in. Remember the Holland friendly in March, the one that you went to. Yeah, wasn't it Oxley Chamberlain and Lingard? Yeah, it's yeah. the two attacking midfielders. And you Lingard think? scored the goal. Deli Ali was. I mean, all the all the attention was on Deli Ali not getting picked, which I, I, I don't think. I don't think Southgate is that, is that sold on Deli Ali as a no, as a man Southgate or a concept. Is, I don't think Southgate is that sold on Deli Ali, and that I think Deli Ali is kind. It's a bit of a victim of the four three three. Because for Tottenham, he obviously has this role where. He can. He basically just attacks the penalty box and doesn't have to do that much midfield work. Mm. Whereas South, that's not how Southgate plays. And in the four-three-three, if South, if Ali's going to be one of the attacking central midfielders, you kind of want a bit more from him than what he would normally contribute. And that's where I think, actually, I, to be honest, I think that Ali was a little bit exposed at times in the World Cup. Yeah. That said, I don't think he was 100% fit at the World Cup. He wasn't 100% fit, but you you do want him. You want him attacking the six-yard box. Right. Exactly. And but whether you can have Kane attacking the six-yard box, Deli Ali attacking the six-yard box, and Raheem Sterling at the same and time, Rashford. and Rashford, I don't think you can. Yeah, I think he's. I but then he's a fantastic player to be able to bring on, mm. and I do think that if there's you know one thing that we've always criticised him for is they're so enthralled to picking all their best individual players rather than asking what yeah. r- rather than asking what jobs they're meant to be doing in the system and if that means that we built a team where Ali is the sub rather than the starter but the team itself like functions better then I think we should all be mature enough to recognise that that's a good thing yeah yeah, yeah can, it's can one of the things I like it's basically one of the things I like about Southgate is that he is he he kind of goes back to first principles like he thinks what am I trying to achieve here? Like, what's the kind of, yeah, he, what's the goal? And then he, he works methodically from there rather than starting with a list of his of England's best players, putting them in the team and then kind of trying to, like, you know, uh, fit, a, fit a kind of strategy around that, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And and he, he really loves Chalibur as well. He does really, he really love, love Chalibur. Chalibur. And so does the whole FA, although he, he's an interesting example because he's someone who, for all his promise and talent, has not really had a sustained run in the Premier League. Like even, you know, he went to, he obviously went to Watford last summer or some summer before last, mm. started really well for a month, fractured his kneecap, missed a year. He's now coming back into a team where um, uh, Capu and, what is his name, the other holding midfielder. Takure. Takure mm-hmm. playing really well at Watford. He can't really get in. And so he needs somehow he needs to get a run in Premier League games. I think before he can really sort of sort of start to justify his place again. Yeah, Lewis Cook issue as well. It's the Lewis Cook issue. Um, do you feel like? Do you do you feel like there was a narrative? I know. So this is a question which I, I'm not going to phrase it as a question. I'm going to phrase it as a statement. Uh, <laughs> in the World Cup, there was a narrative put around by some people, including our chief football writer, that England were c- kind of lucky and. 
had covered their failures in a way which uh, they, they basically managed to scam their way through to the semi-final. Was how it was. Was how it was solved. Yeah, he did. So we're talking about Miguel here. Yeah. 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 I mean, he did. He he did. Uh, he did get quite grumpy about, yeah, about lot, England. Lots of it wasn't just him. Lots of people were kind of down on England. I think it's overly down on England. Uh, saying that, that you know because they scored goals from corners they weren't good because they didn't have Christian Eriksen type player they weren't good uh, and that it was really just a kind of lucky confluence of stuff which managed to allow them to get all the way to the semi final but that it wasn't real it was like kind of fake and where that is one of the reasons why I think what Southgate has done since has been so gratifying is because he's shown that there's actually far more depth to this England team and their achievements yeah look um England are, historically, England are a big nation. Competitively, they are not. And I think there is a certain double think in the, in the way that England's success at the World Cup was kind of downgraded. Because uh, on one hand, they did exactly what a limited, medium-sized nation should do, is maximise their potential, play with a defined system of play, and essentially get a little bit of luck from the draw, yeah. maybe, but overachieve. That's exactly what England did. At the same time, then they're not getting the credit for that because they're England and they should they should be a big nation. I I, I think it's, it, there was a little bit of England's critics having it both ways there, like yeah, you've won yeah. like you've won like a small nation, but you're a big nation, and therefore you should not only be overachieving, you should be doing it in a certain way, which is very poorly defined. So it, what they've done since is, in a way, quite gratifying. And I know that that sounds a little bit like. You know, football lads alliancey, and and, and, and I, 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 I want. Have you ever been accused of being football lads alliancey well, before, Jonathan? I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what happened yesterday. So, I mean, I went to play five aside football yesterday, which is why I wasn't at the game itself. Then we went to the pub to watch the the, the Croatia game, and I, you know, the, the Goose Island is, is very very tasty beverage. And uh, sort <laughs> did of did you go to that Goose the like Goose Island dedicated pub? No, it wasn't. It might have been. There's a new Goose Island pub. I can't believe I know this. There's in Shoreditch. There's like Goose Island Asylum pub. I think I think I've seen that pub, but it wasn't that pub because they were serving other things. Okay. But they did have two taps of Goose Island, like different different kinds. Um, anyway, very nice. And it gets to about sort of 89 minutes, and then you're going through injury time, and everybody's feeling a little bit loose. England scored two goals. The pub is absolutely rocking. It's you know it's 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 full of. Um, Un- unironic England patriotic fervor, and as the full time whistle goes, for reasons I can't, I can't, I both can and can't fully explain. I leapt out of my chair, pumped the air with both fists, and shouted, "Brexit means Brexit." <laughs> um, so you know what is the connection between all these things? I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just telling you the story <laughs> as it happened. Wow, uh, that wasn't the punchline to that story that I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I think we are probably coming to the end of the podcast, but I want to end with a bit of a game. Uh, so I've been thinking a lot today about the Wally with the Brolly game, uh, the 3-2 defeat to Croatia in November 2007. So that is 11 years ago. Can you guys name me the England eleven from that game? Well, the goalkeeper's not hard. Scott Carson. Carson. Scott Carson. Yeah, Carson. How many goes do we get? Uh, let's just keep going until. I mean, we've only been podcasting for thirty minutes, so I think we've probably got okay, about fifteen. Two thousand and seven. Let's drill um, down. Terry? No, not Terry. 
Lescott. Yes. Oh. oh. Ashley Cole. No. Carragher. No. Ledley King. No. Ledley King. Uh. <laughs> Jackie Elka. No. Sol Campbell. Yeah, Sol Campbell. Sol Campbell. Coming wow. towards the end of his career then. Would have been at Portsmouth, I guess. So, so hang on, so we've got the centre-backs and the keeper. We've yeah. got the centre-backs and the keeper. Left-back. Right, let's just blitz. that. Gerard, Lampard. Yeah, Gerard, yes. Lampard, yes. Barry. Barry, yes. Carrick. Carrick, no. Hargreaves. No. Rooney. No. Owen. No. Crouch. Defoe. Crouch, yes. Crouch started up front. Defoe. Defoe came on at half-time, uh, didn't start. Bent. No. So you're missing Marcus a right-back, <laughs> right-winger, left-back and left-winger. Uh, uh, Joe Cole? Joe Cole, yes. Retired um, last week. <sighs> left back. Left back. Left back. A lot of dead air on the pod. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Listeners, Can we edit this sound? It, yeah, so it sounds it like Baines? it blitz it. No, not Baines. I'm not sure this qualifies as an Easter egg. It's probably the opposite <laughs> of an Easter egg. Oh, Bridge. Bridge, yeah. Oh. Bridge. Two players to get. I'm a celebrity Twain Bridge. Um, right back and right winger. Genus? No. Kieran Dyer? No. Pennant? Pennant never played for England, did he? Uh, he one cap. can't remember, but no, it's not Pennant. Bloody hell. Right back. Not Neville? No, not Neville. What about the other Neville? No, neither Neville. Actually, oh. I mean, that's where that would have covered. Yeah. The first Neville would have covered. Hedge my bet. <laughs> yeah. Um, England right backs. 2007. If I'm going to give you a clue, I'd say he probably won about... West Brown. No, like I'd say he won about 10 or 15 caps over a sort of 18-month period. Danny Mills. Has not played for England since. David so Bartley. He was thought. Earl Barrett. He was thought at the time to be the, the future of England right-backing, and then it all went wrong. Glenn Johnson. No. <sighs> He's Kyle is, Norton. No. Is he still playing? From the way you spoke, uh, it sounds he's like he's still at a club, but still hacking around. Um, oh, Sean Wright Phillips. Sean Wright Phillips was the right winger. Oh. Yeah, for the right winger. Oh. I forgot he existed. Okay, now the future of English right back. Future yeah, of English <laughs> right back. <laughs> he, he was described by I think Alan Hansen said he was. Uh, he compared him to Lily Anterra. Michael Richards. Michael oh. Richards. Michael, Ri- Michael Richards was a phenomenon for a bit. Is he yeah. still at Villa? I think he's still at Villa. So I, I remember very well, packet. obviously, because of the Manchester City thing. Yeah. Up in, in the, uh, under Stuart Pearce, he was very, 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 very promising. And under Svenja and Eriksson, playing either right back or centre back. And under Mark Hughes. And in fact, he was the, in, even in 2011-12, the first Premier League title that City won under Mancini. Richards was initially the first choice right back. He was the right back. Uh, in the six-one, when United, when City won at Old Trafford in oh, October really? 2011, yeah, uh, and he was really, really good on the overlap. But basically, over the course of the season, Mancini realised that in fact Zabaleta was more trustworthy than Richards. And by the end of the season, he he started Zabaleta instead of Richards. And then Richards started to get in, started to pick up injuries and kind of fell out of the picture a bit. Uh, I don't know when his last England cap would have been. Where did he go from? Because he was at Fear and. On loan, wasn't he? I think City loaned him to Fiorentina before he joined Aston Villa. But he yeah. went, by the time mm-hmm. he joined Aston Villa, he'd had too many injuries, and also it was—I don't think it was the right environment for and him. And was promptly made captain. Obviously, Villa <laughs> went through a spell of like 
signing famous players on big money <laughs> uh and i don't think it was like a particularly like uh you know driven atmosphere or driven dress training these the assumption was that he'd eventually become a, a top class center back yeah i think so i think he's one of those players who also maybe you can kind of compare him to phil jones in the sense that he had like he was very very talented very athletic and was able to kind of get into the team on the basis of his athleticism mm. as a teenager. But that meant that he never really learned to position properly. Yeah. Like he, he, he played centre-back a fair bit and he was obviously never a natural centre-back. He even played, bizarrely played in midfield once or twice, which was a disaster, to be honest. Um, but because he never really had to learn a position properly, it meant that when he couldn't really rely on the athleticism in the same way, he was a bit lost. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it meant, uh, he, so he never kind of, turned into the centre back that people were expecting then when he got injured he had those injuries he couldn't really be the right back that he was as a teenager in his early 20s either way so I think he's been kind of I think he's been unlucky I also think he's been under under coach basically yeah um, which is a shame because he's de- I mean and the, the Phil he, Jones um, Phil Jones parallel is, is very appropriate there yeah Jones is again a player who uh, you know he's not remember how highly rated he was when he was first at Blackburn and he's obviously you know Playing for Manchester United for years is a great career, but you sort of playing for Manchester United sort for of years. Playing for Manchester United for years, and but the, the trouble with with him again, a lack of specialist, a, a lack of specialisation, a lack of then specialist coaching, and so the the 2011 2012 Phil Jones who could do it all, who could play right back, who could play ball playing centre half, who could play burly centre half, who could, you know big base of midfield. Yeah, famously, but didn't play midfield when. United played Real Madrid in the 2013 Champions yeah, League. Yeah, I think so. Squ- and also 16 or quarters? Uh, quarters? Qu- Christ. Quarters. And also a game at Chelsea. Uh, a cup game at Chelsea a couple of years ago. He played at the base of midfield. But anyway, the, the, all, the, all these, the, the 20, sort of 11, 2012 Phil Jones, that's still the player he is now. Yeah. And because he's not been able to develop any of these one, any one of these skills, he's... Uh, had a few injuries, and so he's he's just kind of crystallised in amber as a, <laughs> as a footballer. Yeah, I mean it's interesting if you can make the comparison with say Carl Walker, mm. who is two years I think he's two years younger than Michael Richards, and he is someone who, you know, you can it's not not unfair to compare Walker as a youngster and Richards as a youngster. Like they were both very quick, muscular, attacking right backs. And ultimately, it's Walker who's had the great career and is now playing for City, mm. which Richards, of course, isn't. Mm. I think, and a lot of that, I think, probably owes to po- uh, to Pochettino, like two, two incredible managers. Because there were still huge question marks over Walker yeah, like when Walker Pochettino was, turned up. Yeah, when Pochettino showed up in 2014, Walker would have been 24 years old. And there was a point when people thought Norton was better. Yeah, yeah, there definitely. was. Um, yeah, I mean, when. I remember actually, if you go all the way back to when, when Spurs signed Kyle Walker and Kyle Norton from Sheffield United, some people thought that was over Kyle. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I think I first made that joke on Twitter in about 2008. So I'm finally pleased to be able to the give it to a slightly bigger well, audience. Well, I mean, that was a very circuitous way of getting it in, like coming up with a game and everything. Uh, <laughs> but and, and then and then the whole the whole contrived Micah Richards discussion. But uh, fair play to you. Thank you very much. But um, like. It's fair to say that Walker at 24 probably wasn't that different from Richards at a similar age. And there were all those big question marks over Walker at the time. Mm. But thanks to, uh, what, 2014, 2017, three years of coaching from uh, from Pochettino and now a year and a 
bit under Guardiola, Walker has become an amazing player. Like, and also just tactical shifts in football. I mean, like yeah. playing a three-man defence and then Walker's out on the right, kind of, if he does, well, he does have defensive flaws, doesn't he? And they're kind of so well covered and it plays for Shemp so much that he, he looks even better than what he is. It's, it, in many ways, the coaching that he's, he's receiving now is, is future-proofing his career against what happens when that electric burst of pace eventually goes. I think 33, 33-year-old 30, Kyle Walker is going to be a very interesting player because he was always able to make little positional slips, but his, yeah. his pace would get him out of trouble. Mm. And now I think he's learning a more rounded game. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, to think how he will how he will develop. But also, actually, while we're on Walker, one more thing I want to touch on is I think one of the, as well as the midfield issue, which is completely unsolved, I think right-back has been, right-back is one of the question marks that England have going into the Nations mm. League finals next June because um, obviously the benefit for 3-5-2 was allowing Southgate to play Walker and Trippier, whereas uh, now he can only play one of them. And the suspicion going into the last set of internationals was that it would be like Trippier would be the first choice over Walker. I yeah. think I don't imagine that Southgate was thrilled by Walker having a little bit of a moan about the fact that he was played out of position at the World Cup. And I know that Walker would have rather continued to play right back rather than centre back going into the next set of internationals. Right. And but I do think that Walker is a better player. I yeah. think Walker is yeah, better definitely. than Trippier. I think he's he's quicker. I think he's more dangerous. He adds... I know that Trippier gives you better delivery, but I think Walker gives you more width and more incision going forward. Yeah, and I think he's a better defender than Trippier. I, 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 think, I go, think so, yeah. Positionally, he's he's just he's just got a, a few extra years of, of, I guess, honed instincts. Mm. He's yeah. he, he can spot danger, I think, a little bit better than Trippier can. Surely there's zero competition if you're playing a... A flat back four. There's, there's like, there's no competition. Walker is just so much a better. Depends. Defender. It depends a lot on form. I mean, the, the Trippier that we saw Trippier's towards the end, of, this towards the end of last season. Yeah, that I is think that Trippier's been poor this season. I, I, yeah, especially playing Ori. I think. I think. In, so? Yeah, I think in one-on-one defending situations, Ori is far better. Ori is. He's a liability. But no, he's, I, he's, he's, well, he's, the thing is, Ori going forward, he's got like. Oh, he'll take the ball up, up the uh, up, up the right wing, and I'm like, oh, this is quite this is quite promising. And like his first seven touches will be great, and the eighth touch will just be like <laughs> the cross that goes out for throw in on the other side. Yeah. yeah, it's what I mean. It's what I call sort of the Welbeck syndrome, where he can't he can't do like four good things in a row, which is what you yeah. need to to get out of defence and into you know. Yeah. But anyway, that's, that's a whole. Him and Sissoko on the same flank is well, incredibly frustrating. Exactly. I do you think that Tottenham needs a. Like Davis, Davis and Trippier forever is not gonna, is not a solution mm, no. for Tottenham. Like it's just particularly. I just think that Spurs are l- just lacking a lot of pace and dynamism in those wide areas. Sorry, we're getting onto clubs. They should get. They should get. They should get Chilwell. They should get Chilwell. They should get Chilwell's really Sh- good. Ch- how much of a of a refreshing you know how refreshing is it to have a proper left footer on the left on the left wing? Yeah, yeah, mm. it's really good. Great haircut. Much of an, uh, like and we all thought after the World Cup that if it wasn't going to be Young, it would have to be Shaw or Rose, basically, mm. or maybe Bertrand, or maybe whereas, Cresswell. Whereas in fact, yeah, whereas it, Chile is uh, doing better than any of those guys. Mm. Shaw's still in the picture as well. Isn't Shaw, he? He did okay Shaw, last Shaw, Shaw is in the picture, mm. but I, I think Shaw was better than Shaw at the moment. In fact, in Madison as well, Leicester have actually got some quite good. I do, I do love Chilwell. He's my, f- he's probably my favourite Leicester player. Ben, oh, who, Madison. Luke, who's I your favourite? Mad- James player. Madison, 100%. Uh, I'm going to go for Jamie Vardy. Um, oh, <laughs> that, that, that is provocation and I'm not going to rise to it. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. Uh, we will be back next Monday, uh, probably with our actual host, Ed Malian. 
Uh, but thank you for listening and have a nice week. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.